think it's me. I'm waiting for that next slide. Yes. It's uh, glad to glad to have you here uh, again today, and I uh, hope you're you're doing well and uh, looking forward or already enjoying the long weekend. And uh, I just want to, uh, as we get underway this morning, I want to share with you a little thank you card that we received during the week. Oh, well, it was several weeks ago. But uh, we, well, the, the reason we have this thank you card is that we allowed the AA groups that meet here uh, to continue meeting all the way through uh, the last year. You know, we said as long as you uh, distance and take precautions and, and we've been cleaning up after them, you know, they come in Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Uh, Howard's been, you know, cleaning it all down, all the chairs down and everything. We've got a system with them. Now, as it turned out, only one of the groups took advantage of that. Um, and two other groups, they're coming back now. They're all now meeting here again, but two of them went virtual. But for the one that, that did keep meeting the whole time, um, they were very appreciative. Uh, and so they wrote just a little note to say thank you for allowing our group to continue to stay open during this time. This meeting has been such a blessing. And uh, there, there's half a dozen people that, that signed their name to it. I just want to share this one to you, with you. And it, it says, thank you for helping and supporting us. Because of you and this church being open, I'm still sober. God bless. Uh, this has certainly been... There, there are so many ways that the pandemic has injured people. Of course, the virus itself has, has caused uh, immense loss of life and, and health. Um, I know, uh, I see Corey and Maureen sneaking in the back there. I know that they're uh, dealing with a lot of the emotional uh, damage that has been caused by the uh, as social workers, um, counselors, a lot of the emotional damage that's been caused by the lockdowns and restrictions and as well as the losses. But uh, for those in the recovery community, it's also been a very difficult year and a lot of people have uh, relapsed. And uh, so we're glad that we're able to uh, support, encourage them, and, uh, and they appreciate that. So I just want to share that, uh, pass that along with you. And the last thing before I get going today is just to remind you that uh, uh, we really would like for everybody uh, to uh, sign up for worship services, particularly this one, well, for both of them, you know, uh, go online and do that. If you need to get that email reminder, then make sure the office has your email and we'll send that out. We send the link every week. You just click on it. Let us know you're coming. Uh, right now, we're still doing the social distancing, and so we do have a capacity. Uh, we're maybe not quite there today, but uh, would hate to, to have to put some people downstairs or ask you to come back at 10.30 or, or whatever that might be. So please, uh, it doesn't take you very long, and it's going to make life simpler for, for everyone, I think. Okay, we are... Um, at the intermission, I told you last week, we're at the intermission in the book of Acts. Okay, we've finished chapter 12. And so we're going to take a uh, six-week intermission. And uh, we'll, we'll come back to Acts in, uh, in, in right after the 4th of July, uh, long weekend in, in July. What I want to do in the time in between is, because we've been 
talking through the first 12 chapters of Acts, one of the things we've noticed is that it features the Apostle Peter. Not just Peter, of course, there's Peter and John that do a lot of things together. Uh, we've seen the deacons, uh, so-called, uh, Tim uh, not Timothy, Stephen and Philip, you know, get active and be doing things. But Peter is, is probably the main character uh, throughout uh, those first 12 chapters. And so I thought it would be good to uh, spend some time looking at him as a person, and then we're, uh, we'll do that today, and then we'll go and look at the book, the letter that he wrote, First Peter, and uh, just see what we can learn from what he had to say at the end of his life. And so we've spent these, these weeks talking about his activity in the first decade of the church, and, uh, and so today I want to kind of focus mostly on the, the Gospels. Uh, and what we learn about him in the Gospels. But uh, I think it's, it's worth acknowledging that uh, who Peter was. Peter was a very significant figure in the early church. Now, I think most of us know that the Catholic Church has for centuries taught that when Peter exits stage left at the end of Acts chapter 12, that he heads to Rome and becomes the first pope. Uh, if we're to you know, give a really simplistic summary of, of how they view that. Now, um, the letter of 1 Peter, I've got a couple of verses to, to look at there. The letter of 1 Peter uh, in chapter 5, it closes with a greeting. Um, it says in, in the last second last verse, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. So, she who is in Babylon, um, chosen together with you. So, it's referring to Christians. I think it's referring to the church. In Babylon. Well, where's Babylon? Peter, there's no way this letter is being written from Babylon in Iraq. Uh, this is Babylon, if you're familiar with Revelation, is a term that's often used for Rome. And so it's under, understood, generally understood or, or believed, that Peter is writing this letter, First Peter, from Rome. And he sends greetings uh, from the church in Rome to the churches in uh, northern Turkey that he is addressing. It's also likely that he was martyred there in Rome. Uh, so there, there are kind of three parts to this story, if, if, or, or this history of Peter. One is that he was in Rome. One is that he was martyred there. And the third one is that the, the Catholic Church would have us believe that he became the first pope. But we can agree on the first two without necessarily agreeing on the third one. Okay? And so just because two out of three are correct doesn't invalidate any of the others, okay? Each piece of information can stand, stand alone. Uh, regarding his death, uh, if we go to the next slide, thanks, uh, Ernest. Uh, we see here a couple of, a, a summary, it's from a dictionary that, that I have that summarized it, uh, but there are two ancient church leaders. Um, Clement is writing around the end of the first century, 
Eusebius is a historian, church historian, a little later. But they both agree that Peter was martyred in Rome. And to, to have two church writers say the same thing from around the same time period, very early on, is significant corroboration of that, um, of that tradition that, that he was martyred in Rome. Perhaps it was upside crucified, upside down. I think that's, he's the, the first person to say that. Uh, and that may or may not be the case. But certainly that he was martyred there in Rome seems to be as, as reputable historically as many other things that we accept without question. One of the things that I think is, is interesting, uh, well, well, we'll get to this in, uh, but, but Peter had an elevated position in the church. So one of the things that uh, we see, though, is that he doesn't become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Um, the, the James is really seems to take the leadership position. James, uh, an James, the brother of Jesus, takes the leadership of the church in Jerusalem. The apostles ultimately spread out from Jerusalem and didn't stay there. Uh, they were out witnessing. In Acts 1, Jesus tells the apostles to go be his witnesses to the end of the earth. Now, what's interesting is that the word witness um, is... Uh, that's the translation. In Greek, it, it sounds like the word martyr. Okay? So the word martyr is someone who dies for their faith. right? That's our definition. But originally, it's the Greek word for witness. And so we see that Peter took his instruction from, from Acts 1, from, from Jesus, to be his witnesses, took that to the extreme of uh, giving his life as witness. What's interesting is that uh, we talk about even though he wasn't the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he was still an apostle. So he begins his epistle, uh, 1 Peter. He begins by saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And that's a, a way of establishing his authority, right? So he's saying, hey, I have authority. So I am a leader. I am a significant person. It, it, it's a little, I don't think it was intended this way, but a little humorous in uh, chapter 5 and verse 1. And he's talking about suffering, but uh, he says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. You go, oh, look, there's equality. He's not above anyone. He's like, there is a fellow elder. And I'm sure he, he functioned that way in the church in Rome. But then he goes on, and a witness of Christ's sufferings. Okay, There were very few. There would have been no one in the churches he was writing to who had also been a witness of Christ's life and sufferings on earth. So, yes, he was a fellow elder, but he had a, another qualification. He was an apostle. He was a witness of the, the person, the life, the sufferings of Jesus and functioned as an elder in the church. So, he, he was very respected. The last way we see that he was respected, because you can be elevated, respected, be a leader without necessarily saying, oh, he must have been the first pope. But, but we know that he was respected because he sends this letter to churches in, in northern Turkey 
and they keep it and they preserve it and they pass it around and we have it with us today. And so it was something that they valued and hung on to. So this is the end of the story of Peter. Okay. He exits stage left in Acts 12, released from jail um, and uh, miraculously by an angel. Uh, we're not told where he goes, but ultimately he winds up in Rome. Ultimately, he dies for his faith. And we saw that in our reading from John 21, where Jesus predicted, he says in verse 18, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, went where you wanted. When you're old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. So this wasn't saying that he would live to a ripe old age and suffer the infirmities that come with that. It was saying, no, you'll be taken places that you don't want to go. You'll lose control of your own life. But he says, come and follow me. Okay? You've got that to look forward to. But he says, I invite you to follow me. And Peter does. So this is the, the end, as I said, of his story. He dies somewhere in the mid-60s, probably um, under the reign of Nero and uh, just shortly before the destruction of Jerusalem. But I want to return to the beginning of Peter's story. And the beginning of Peter's story is really the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, mostly. And uh, what we're, we're going to see as we look at the life of Peter is that he was the most prominent of the 12 apostles. Okay? As we read through, he has more personality than any of the other, other 12. But unlike many literary figures, Peter isn't portrayed as a conquering hero who rises to the top in his field, who overcomes all adversity. Rather, I think this complex, the most complex of the, the 12 apostles that we're given insight into, is revealed as somebody who's much like us. And I think we'll see that. And we get to witness God's transformative work in his life. So let's look at some of the highs and the lows of the life of Peter. And I, I'm not going to, uh, to go into great detail on all of these, but Peter was there at the, the very beginning. He was introduced, and I do want to read that one. Uh, it's in verse, uh, sorry, in John chapter 1. Did I just take you to Matthew? Uh, sorry. John chapter 1, you can just listen to this one. And starting in verse 35, it says, The next day, John, the baptizer, was there again with two of his disciples at the Jordan River. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. 
The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So John the baptizer is doing his ministry in the Jordan River down south in the southern part of the country, outside Jerusalem. And Andrew is there, traveled from Galilee. And Peter is apparently in the vicinity because Andrew doesn't travel back to Galilee. We're told the next day he, he goes and finds Peter and says, hey, we found the Messiah. And, uh, and so Peter is there at the beginning. But what seems to happen is they, they um, meet Jesus. They're intrigued by Jesus. They listen to Jesus. They learn from him. But they go back and they do their, go back to Galilee. They take up fishing again. Um, I don't know what their continue, ongoing interaction with Jesus was, but there's some period of time that passes. And then in, in Matthew, you can go there now, uh, chapter 4, we find that uh, Jesus is walking, verse 18, beside the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now Jesus has already given them that invitation in John. But here they leave their nets. Okay, this is a turning point for them. As they, they leave what is familiar and say, yes, we're going to go and we'll follow Jesus. And uh, we don't know what's coming. We don't know what lies ahead. But we're going to do this. And so Peter is there at the very beginning. Met him with John the baptizer is the first, one of the first apostles called to follow Jesus. And, uh, and so I think there's something significant about that, about the relationship that Jesus had with Andrew and with Peter. Now, if you're reading through Matthew, it's not the book of the Gospel of Peter, right? Um, and so it's not until we get to chapter 14 again that we see uh, Peter really doing very much. And in chapter 14 is the familiar story um, of... The, the, after feeding the 5,000, Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. The apostles go jump in a boat and uh, sail to wherever they're going. A storm comes up. It's night. They're not getting anywhere. And, uh, and Jesus is just suddenly appears walking on the water. He's about to walk past them. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know if Jesus was just playing with them, messing with them. Yeah, hi guys, <laughs> see you on the other side. Um, and yeah, because wouldn't you just walk over to the boat? <laughs> but he's like, no, he's going to walk past them. And, uh, and they think it's a ghost and they're terrified. But what we, we see here is that uh, the faith of Peter. To be able to say, you know, Jesus is like, there's something special. However we think of him. He's a prophet, he's a man of God, he's the son of God, he's the Messiah. Like if he wants to walk on water, then that's his thing, right? He's doing miracles all the time. He just fed 5,000 people from a bunch of little fish. But Peter, for whatever reason, be it a daredevil or, or, or but he says, hey, if you're Jesus, like he wasn't sure yet. And, and I just want to say, if this isn't a smart test. Like, if you're not sure who the other person is, don't say prove it by me risking my life. 
Because he says, if you're Jesus, tell me to come and walk to you. And the person on the water says, yes, come. And Peter does. Thankfully, it was Jesus, not just a hallucination. Otherwise, Peter's story may have ended prematurely. But he does walk on the water. And we see that it's just tremendous faith that if it's Jesus out there, that's all he needs. Is if it's Jesus and he tells me to come, then I can come. And, and so he does. But then we're, we're told that he looks around, he realizes how big the waves are. And, um, and, and so he, he starts to sink. And so we see Jesus then pulls him up and says, Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And so there's this moment of tremendous faith as he jumps out of the boat, walking on the water towards Jesus, is quickly followed by a, an attack of doubt and fear. In Matthew 16, just over a couple of more chapters, we see this faith come to perhaps its, its ultimate uh, greatest moment, as, as Peter makes the great confession, Jesus has spent all his ministry to this point trying to convince people who he is. And, and now Peter um, says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And, and, Pete, and, and you just imagine Jesus in his head going, woohoo, someone's got it. You know? Because there are these people that say he might be Elijah. There are these people that say he might be just a prophet. These people that aren't sure, some are just here for the, you know, the, the, the uh, hot dogs and the, the cotton candy you know, and the fireworks. And here's someone who has it. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And he says, okay, that's all I need, one person. He says, now that I've got that one person who's willing to accept who I am, he says, I want you to understand that me being the Messiah means that I'm going to go to the cross. Well, Peter just can't help himself, right? He's done something right, so he's a guy of averages, just an average guy. Because when he does something right, he has to turn around and do something wrong. And so he immediately tells Jesus and says, you may be the Messiah, the son of the living God, but you don't know what you're talking about. You're not going to die. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You don't understand. Don't talk about what you don't understand, Peter. Um, and, and I think for him to say, you're a stumbling block to, to me, what he's actually saying is, don't tempt me with thinking there may be other ways of doing this. That was the same temptation that Satan gave him in the wilderness, right? He, he said, hey, you don't need to die. I'll give you the world. And now Peter's saying, you're the Messiah. You don't need to die. Don't be a stumbling block. So Peter's struggling. In chapter 17, we again, he gets, I don't know if rewarded is the right word, but Jesus takes James, John, Peter up the Mount of Transfiguration. They get to see Elijah and Moses and and Jesus be glorified, and just this uh, amazing, incredible um, sort of joining of heaven and earth at that moment. And, and they're witnesses to that. 
That in itself, regardless of the rest of Jesus' life, if we saw that, right, wouldn't it be a transformative moment for us? And uh, as Jesus himself has transformed. Uh, but, but Peter says, you know what we should do, Jesus? We should build booths. We should build you know, sort of shelters here. And, and maybe different people have different ideas. Maybe it was because he wanted them to take up residence there on the mountain. Maybe it was because he wanted them to, uh, wanted to like a memorial to this event. Whatever it was, Jesus was like, no, that's not the, not the point of this, Peter. You should probably ask me what it is that you want me to do. Like, don't, don't tell me that this is what you're, you're going to have happening. And so, um, th- that, that idea was, was squashed. And so, we see this up and this down pattern taking place again. But the moments of, of faith are tremendous in his life. But then, his humanity is revealed. Things change, though, when we get to the final hours of Jesus' life. And in John, uh, we're looking mostly here at the Gospel of John. John chapter 13, uh, we have the account of uh, the Last Supper. And uh, Jesus, as you know, goes around and washes the feet of his disciples. And, and Peter says, oh no, you can't wash my feet. And sounding very humble, he says, I am far too humble to allow you to wash my feet. And uh, but, but we see like just his total commitment to, to Jesus in that when Jesus explains it and says, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have any part of me, he's like all in. He's like, well, in that case, Jesus, wash everything. Okay? And, and you wonder if he started like taking off his robe and Jesus, whoa, 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 no, no, we don't need that. Just the feet. Okay? I just need to wash your feet, Peter. And, but, but he is when he, it's so teachable that when it's explained to him, he's willing to, to adjust, to change his perspective. But, so, so that's how his Easter weekend begins. But then we have three failures in a row, a downward spiral. He, together with James and John, after this dinner, go to the Garden of Gethsemane and um, Jesus asks them to pray for him three times. I think they don't appreciate what's going on and maybe even if they did it wouldn't have mattered, but they, instead of praying, they sleep. Anyone ever done that? Started praying, end up sleeping? Um, and so they do this three times while Jesus goes and prays by himself. And uh, then, and so it's another failure for you, Peter. And then Peter's still struggling with this idea of a Messiah that has to die. Because as the, the, the mob come to arrest Jesus, and, and they would have been armed guards, people who've trained with their spears and weapons. Um, but Peter the fisherman pulls out a sword and in a great show of bravery slices up the ear of a servant. Um, and, and again, Jesus has to say, no, Peter. He'll, he'll tell Pilate later, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, we're not participating in a kingdom of violence. That's what we've come to, to change. The kingdom of God is not one of violence. And so Jesus um, heals the servant Servants here, like that's really like loving your enemies, right? Uh, to take 
if you can picture it, picking up an ear off the ground and just reattaching it as they put handcuffs on you and poke you with swords. And then, worst of all, as they come to the uh, come to the trial, come back to the high priest's house, where in, in chapter 18 of John, as Jesus is questioned and accused, Peter is sitting there. I mean, give him some points for being there, I suppose. But this person that was just so willing to take on the Roman army by himself with his sword in order to defend Jesus just a few hours before is now asked three times, hey, don't you know Jesus? He says, no. Who? That guy? Nope. And then Jesus looks at him, the rooster crows, and Peter realizes what he's done. Just as Jesus had predicted he would do, he has denied his Messiah three times. And, and so you would think, for many of us, this is the end of the story, right? Think how many uh, people are canceled or, or their sins are exposed in, in social media or the news media, and that's the end of their public career. And, and, and so we see this kind of thing happening all the time. Well, there were other Christians, other Jesus followers there, at the high priest's house because the story got out. And, but to his credit, Peter goes to hang with the other disciples. Maybe it was hard for them not to, hard for them to criticize him since they'd not even gone there. They'd kind of run in the opposite direction. So maybe they all felt like failures. But when on the day of his resurrection, they are together in an upper room and, and, and Peter is with them. And the women come to the tomb and they see the empty, they see that it's empty and uh, they are told to, uh, to go and tell the other disciples. They are the first messengers of good news. And, and so then um, Peter and John are the two apostles who come to the tomb to sort of verify that yes, it is empty. Just to be there that morning. To, to be one of the eyewitnesses to that empty tomb is a great moment. And then in our reading we had, we, we saw how, uh, from John 21, how Peter, uh, Jesus as he meets with Peter after the resurrection. I wonder, Peter knew this conversation was coming, right? Like once Jesus was alive, and once he starts appearing to people, he's like, yeah, he's going to talk to me about that look that he gave me on that night. Like, I know that's coming. He must have dreaded that moment. And we're not told that Jesus ever comes up to him and lays his hand on his head and says, I forgive you. The whole point of the cross is forgiveness, right? Is victory over sin and shame. And so instead of saying it like that, he says to Peter, Peter, he doesn't say, remember when you denied me? But just as he, Peter denied three times, Jesus says to him, hey, Peter, do you love me? And the first time, Peter didn't know what was going on. He says, yes. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He's like, really? Let me ask you again. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep, says Jesus. 
And the third time he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter's hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. You see, I couldn't trust you by that fireplace in the high priest's courtyard. He says, but you've told me three times that you love me and I believe you. And I'm going to give you a responsibility. You're going to be a leader. You're an apostle. Okay? I'm not cancelling you. Okay? You have a place. You have a responsibility. Feed my sheep. And so as we think of how Peter is multiple times brought before to trial in the book of Acts, how he ultimately dies as a martyr, we see that what happened that one time happened that one time. That from that point on, he, he learned, he grew, he changed, and he lived out his witness, not only to the person of Jesus, but to his love for Jesus. And so we see Peter then after this exchange taking the, the primary role on the day of Pentecost and... Um, preaching the first post-resurrection Holy Spirit-infused sermon on that day to which 3,000 people respond. Now, it's a lot going on in the life of Peter, okay? So they're not long stories, long accounts, but there's a lot of them. And, and looking up here on the screen, and if you somebody's listening on the podcast, you can't see the screen, but there's arrows up and down, up and down. And uh, I, I think... I like this visual because I think it, it teaches us something. So Peter's life looks a lot like mine. You see, here's how we like to think it goes. We like to think that we, we have this straight line from I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in, and a little light from heaven filled my soul, and man, by the time I get up here, I'm just like so close to Jesus. Like, people start calling me JC. You know, like, um, <clears throat> they get me confused sometimes. Like, that's how we think life as a Christian should be. And, and Peter reminds us, no, you're, you're, you're Christians, you're followers of Jesus, but you are still human. And so I know there are points in my life that I'm kind of like, Peter, I think, you know, I, I think that God would be pretty proud of me. And then even as I think that, I realize that I've just messed up. And, and so we have these highs and we have these lows. The good news of Jesus is that he died for those lows. That, that, that's what his life on earth, his death, his resurrection was about. Because he knew that there would be those lows. You see... Oftentimes we're filled with guilt and shame and we think that those low points disqualify us from following Jesus. But in fact, those low points simply remind us why we need to follow Jesus. And, and then we get these high points and, and the high points are good and, and that's where the Holy Spirit, He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can live in the green if we're looking at those arrows, right? So that we can live up there. 
so that we can have these green points throughout our life. But it's the Holy Spirit that helps us do that. A gift from God. And, and when we're at those points, when we're living in a way that honors and pleases God, the blue points exist to remind us that we don't earn our salvation. Right? There's going to be a blue point coming. There's going to, we're going to mess up. We're going to struggle. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be things around the corner that we didn't expect. Like Peter, we think God's going to work in one way and God works in another way and we're confused and we don't understand what's going on. We have our limitations. And so life is filled with ups and with downs. And God continues to work in both of them. You see, Peter was committed to following Jesus. He bounced back after his disappointments. He pushed on. He wasn't satisfied with one triumph. Hey, I was the guy that identified Jesus as the Messiah first. I win. Wasn't getting him any points. He had to keep going, keep living, keep being transformed into God's image. And, and so Peter's life illustrates that when we offer God our lives, when we offer him our weaknesses and our abilities, when we offer him our limitations and our determinations, when we offer him our failures and when we offer him our triumphs, God will use those things to not only transform our lives, but to transform our world. And that's what we see happen in the life of Peter. That God doesn't say, well, Peter, I'm really glad you're making great progress. Go get comfortable somewhere. Rather, God says, Peter, now that you're all in, says, I've got some work for you to do. Let's go to Rome. I don't know where God's going to take us. Didn't think he'd take us here. We never know how God's going to use us to transform our world.